Welcome back to the Couple More Podcast. I want you to look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, just a reminder, you can follow us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Ball underscore pod. I'm Tom, aka Ben, and I will be your captain, leader, legend, Granite Jacket tonight. Uh, also with me tonight is a man whose hairline is receding faster than Arsenal are in the Premier League table. It's Jules. Fuck you too, mate. Cheers. How are we doing? Good to see you. Also with us tonight is Stockport's finest, a man who is as scared of gluten as Arsenal are of Premier League points. It's Jim. <laughs> Hello, mate. Uh, much like Arsenal Football Club, unfortunately, Ash is absent tonight. Uh, he claims it's his anniversary. Do you reckon that's a good enough excuse? Oh, it's a measure of the man. That's all we can say. We've learned something today. Um, I'm um, pretty sure his dad listens, so uh, in line. Good on you, Ash. <laughs> well, well done. I- I am just going to point out that because you missed two weeks ago, I missed last week, Ash is missing today, so Jules has to miss the next one, even if he's available, he's barred. Or maybe I'm, I'm exactly like that loyal soldier that's there throughout thick and thin. Listen, and listeners, if, if, if that's the case, then you know, stick with me. Something a bit different tonight, games are coming thick and fast, our next fixture is uh, Liverpool on Wednesday. Um, we think it's so important that we're actually going to try and squeeze two pots in a week, never seen it before but it's going to be lit. Uh, so you'll see us again after the trip to Anfield as well. Uh, but first of all, we have to look back at the week so far, uh, which actually started with Antwerp, and then we'll come on to Palace. But, uh, um, anyway, first night we secured top spot to the Europa League group uh, with a win against Antwerp. It was pretty standard stuff, really. Uh, no shots on target by the opposition that I recall. Um, I think it was more interesting, really, to look at what our rotated players were doing, uh, or more interestingly, what they weren't doing. Uh, Jules, is, is our depth maybe not as good as we think it is? I think that's probably fair. Um, we don't have uh, a perfect 25. I think we've got probably a very strong 14 and then five or six players who are kind of passable. Um, but at the same time, I know we'll give them a bit of criticism, but they, they did the job. So, you know what? Top in the group, rotated heavily. That's fine. Um, now I've just got all the sour pusses who want to make it out that every Spurs player is dreadfully unhappy and wants to have a fight with Mourinho. That's all we've got to deal with now in the media. Go on, media. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, Spurs are a bit light on on bodies, I think. that's. I don't think it took the Antwerp game to to necessarily figure that out, but uh, like Jules just said, job done, clean sheet, top of the group, into the next round doesn't really matter. Look, I didn't watch this game. It's not important. Nobody will ever remember it as a particularly important game. Who cares? Job done. <laughs> yeah, I think you described it as staggeringly unimportant in the group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I think was as succinct as you could put it. There's, there's just been a lot of hyperbole about the way Winks went storming down the touch line and uh, no appearance for Ali. And ultimately, if players aren't happy about not getting minutes, then that's what I want because the alternative is players who are happy to sit on the bench. So yeah, look, it's um, it's you want players that want to be playing football, and you see it all the time. That like go to any club in the country, you'll see uh, somebody being subbed off on a on when they're on a on a hat trick, and they get pulled off to preserve their energy or whatever, and they'll have a bit of a huff and storm off down the tunnel. Everything's hunky dory by the next day. It, it, it really doesn't matter. I also think that. I don't know, Jurgen Klopp hasn't started a Rigi in about, I don't know, three years, at which point, but, but no one ever seems to kick up that much of a fuss about it. Like, like there are other clubs where there isn't such a problem with having players who don't get as many minutes. 
like this, if Tottenham want to be the kind of club they want to, then just keep the best players playing. Like, Isn't there's Rob wrong Green it. still technically <laughs> a professional footballer and he's not made Te- an appearance in about seven years? Technically some... I mean, who's, who's that Is keeper City, at City? Who, no, yeah. who's the keeper that They've got that one keeper at City who hasn't made a, a professional appearance in like six years, but has been like United, City and Chelsea. I, was, I thought it was Rob Green that's at City, but I might be wrong. No, I'll, I'll find his name for you. I'll find his name for you. Continue. Well, no, it's Pete not Tech him. Tech was playing for the uh, under-23s tonight for Chelsea. And he got, he got <laughs> kind of lobbed by uh, Dane Scarlett hilariously, who is, I think, exactly half his age. No, less. Scott Carson. Sorry, it's Scott Carson. I was mixing up. Oh, yeah. um, Scott Carson. You know, he's, he said he's playing for the under-23s. Is that the under-23s again? So, like, the under-46s? Because isn't, isn't Petr Cech about <laughs> 44? Well, Petr Cech wasn't the... What didn't look like the sort of uh, old man out of place in that game so much as um, Daddy Drinkwater, who got suitably two-footed by Alfie Devine and then kicked out in the most childish way possible. Um, then again, I do wonder if, as a senior pro... If you're already being kind of humiliated by being forced to run out with, <laughs> with all the, the the youngsters, and then one of them tries to two foot you, I, I think you probably would get a bit a bit pissy. <laughs> I don't blame him. Being honest, he's got a Premier League winners medal. <laughs> Alfie Devine tried to chop his legs in half. It was literally yeah. a monster tackle. I mean, he gets some of the ball, but I mean, unless he's in League One, I don't know how he gets away with that. Talking about that comment slide about League One. <laughs> Oh, but you know what the best thing is, Jim, is that in a visual medium, and I appreciate it for our listeners this isn't so good, that has, rounded, that has wound him right up, ladies and gents. Like, his face right now, he is fuming on the inside. And this is a man that's never seen a League One game in his life. <laughs> aren't, aren't, aren't Accrington in League One? Maybe yes. not when you watch them. They weren't when you watched them, though. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my get out of jail free card. <laughs> Oh, but what what caused me to giggle, by the way, is um, Jim referred to someone getting pulled off to save energy. <laughs> I'm not mature enough to, to accept those. <laughs> so Ali couldn't sneak on against Antwerp, but he was able to sneak on 10 minutes uh, at Southhouse Park on Sunday. Frustrating, but probably fair one all draw. Um, Jim, let's look at uh, Palace's goal first. Is it one of those where... Hugo Lloris is at fault, or do you give more credit to the free kick taker? A bit of both, I think. Um, it's one of those where I would be disappointed if I, if I was Lloris, um, or if I was anyone associated with Spurs, really. I think he should be doing better there. But as this game showed, goalkeepers make mistakes sometimes. Mourinho did say as well, sorry, just in chat there. Oh, he said that he thinks Lloris is the best keeper in the league. And there is a point to be made that he's made some outrageously good saves this year. So if, he's, if, if it was one kind of, could he keep it out? Maybe. I think his kind of, his overall performances since the start of the season way, out, way outweigh any, uh, any kind of semi-mistake in this game. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's the best keeper in the league. I think that's a, that's a silly thing to say. But, I do, but he's a good keeper. And yeah, they, every player makes mistakes and he happened to make a bit of a mistake there, but it was a good free kick. And uh, I think more concerningly than an individual error, because you can cut those out, uh, would be a conversation around whether that goal was coming. Um, because for a lot of the second half, uh, Spurs 
weren't really at the races so much and allowed Palace to play their game a bit. Um, and when I was thinking about what, what I was going to say about this game, I sort of kept flipping from one side to the other, thinking on the one hand, uh, this is actually a pretty decent result for, for Tottenham. And on the other, it's possibly two points dropped and a, a case of letting a lead slip, which is slightly worrying. But on balance... I don't think you should be too down on this result, really, because if you look at the bigger picture, eight points from 12, I think it is, uh, against a good run of teams, excellent run of form in the league over the last few weeks. Since the last defeat, there's obviously the the West Ham debacle. But aside from that, uh, it's been a a really strong period. And uh, sometimes, over the course of a season, you drop points and there are games where you go, probably should have done better there. West Ham being an example, Newcastle being an example. But I think, you know, Palace are a difficult side. They have improved a lot since they brought Eze in. He gives them a lot, a, another option in midfield to play a slightly more expansive game and they cause teams problems. So I think you can forgive one slightly dodgy goal and an outstanding performance from uh, Gaeta, apart from his mistake, and, and just say, yeah, fair enough, point game, probably. I think that's the biggest thing to remember as... Gaeta was essentially the man of the match. Some of those reflex saves were absolutely unreal. I know he really should have done better for Gainesville because he saw it go all the way. Oh, but it moved. You can also move. <laughs> That's how this works. It's not a game of chess. Um, but oh, that Dyer free kick, it just all season we've been watching Dyer taking free kicks thinking, why do we still let this happen? I can't believe we've got one on target and a fair play to the goalkeeper for... Uh, for actually getting a really good hand to it. And it, it, it was sublime apart from for Kane's goal. So I think, yeah, definitely on the balance of play, draw was a fair result. Mm. But it, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there from a lot of fans. And I think it is, it's definitely premature. Jim, you were right that it's a long season. Yes, we will look at games and be a little bit disappointed. Uh, go to Stelhurst Park. It's not even a tough place to go, but by our standards, we normally do pretty well there. But looking at the way the league is going at the moment and you're looking at how Chelsea slipped up, the Manchester derby was the most derby game I've ever seen. Yeah, awful um, match. Long may it continue, by the way. Pogba out on the left, you love to see it. Uh, <laughs> Liverpool dropping points at uh, Fulham, who have just suddenly oh, yeah. turned up, which you also love to see. Um, it's not the end of the world, is it? Well, I think if the another way of looking at it, just going back to the big picture thing, is if you swapped this result for uh, the the United result, and it had been a, a one-all draw at Old Trafford and a six-one win at Sellers Park, everybody'd be like, "Yeah, great, cool." You can't win every game, and it's. I think it's just fine. I think there are bigger questions about whether Spurs can be a little bit too defensive at times, and I think there's probably a question about whether you need to Soko and Hoybier together. But I think that, I it's think all right. Play, I think that they're a very valuable pivot um, in certain games and in big games, and you look at how how good they they've been in our in our recent run. Um, but I agree, I think you probably only need one against the better teams. Shame not to see. We still haven't really seen Celso and Dombele and one holding midfielder. Um, but I also, I don't know if it was you guys, I think, Jim, you touched on something quite important there. There was a real sense of momentum. It felt like, like with that Palace game, I, was, I started to get worried. <laughs> you, could, you could feel it coming, the inexorable sort of like, yeah. oh, shit feeling. And I just felt like with Mourinho... If I could have somehow like been the devil sat on the devil's shoulder for once, 
um, I would have, I, I would have just been like, why not change it now? Like, like, like you could see it at sort of 52, 53 minutes. You're like, oh, this is starting to slip away. They're, they're applying the pressure. The crowd's getting on the back. Like, make, it, make an early change. Because there are some people who, who weren't having great games. Um, I think Bergvine in particular was, was a bit off the pace. And I've, I just feel like, could we have changed our shape? Could we have changed our, our personnel? Like, I don't know. I felt like Mourinho missed a bit of a trick there. There was something about the second half that just, it, it didn't sit right. Even we weren't great in the first half. I think we were slightly better. Old Dinosaur Sunet said it was even Stevens at half time, but shows what he knows. Um, <laughs> we were definitely literally ahead at half time, and deservedly so. But we just couldn't put a string of passes together. And I'm not quite sure what it was. Maybe, you know, it was raining quite a lot. I know that it does have a, a slight effect on the quality of play in that. But for whatever reason, we just couldn't keep hold of the board. But you do have to give the opposition credit for disrupting that. That mm -hmm. said, looking at the changes that you think we could have made, yes, I think they could have been done sooner. But Bergvine does give you something in a way tracks back. Yes, I've just complimented Bergvine. Um, <laughs> but you know, in Mourinho, look at what sort of change would he have done. And quite possibly, if he wanted to change something in like the 55th to sort of hour mark, he might have brought another defender. I, but I would have liked that. But but I would have liked that. I think we would have been under the cash more because no, I I so I, I think if you if if a team starts to press you, you've got two options, right? Either one is you back yourself technically to to play through the press, or two, you accept that you're going to chip it long. And for like, I mean, I'm I'm a bit so I'm quite pragmatic in how I view football. I wouldn't have minded if we had brought on. Uh, ben Davies to go into this into the back into a back three, say, but then you bring on Vinicius up front and you go, fine, let's hit channels, let's do that all day. Let's, Except let's he play. wasn't on the bench, but anyway. Well, valid, but you know, I feel like there's there's other options there, and ra we 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 allowed as a I can't remember who it was who, who came up this trade recently, but we allowed the game to happen to us. We didn't adjust ourselves to it when we could see what was happening. Yeah, I was trying to think just then while you were talking, Jules, of a time earlier in the season. I can't remember what game it was, but I remember saying on the pod, it was a slightly disappointing result. And I just said, don't panic. It doesn't really matter. It's one game. And then Spurs went on a really, really good run thereafter. The other thing I just wanted to mention, which I thought was really surreal, uh, it's not, not a good thing for Spurs, but just as a, like, a moment, um, when Schlupp scored, it was the first time I saw on screen a stand with fans in and they jump up and celebrate a goal for like 10 months. Weird, I know it's yeah, not the first game, but it was really weird. And I was like, oh, yeah. So they moved towards him, didn't they? He went up to the hoardings and they were kind of jumping down there and it was a sort of slight hesitation of, uh, oh, should I, should I know? <laughs> should we all hug each other? And, it was a strange dilemma, one we might not ever see again in London, sadly, but um, it's a fascinating time to be alive, I'll tell you that. I think it was, it was, there was something lovely about it, though. Like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's those moments where even though there's only 2,000 of them there, you, you still get, you get so much atmosphere from it. You get so much like, sense of, how, of, of the mood. It's funny how I feel like you could have 100 people at a non-league game and you could have 100,000 people in the Bernabeu but you can still sense that mood of the crowd. Like it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. There's something lovely in that. Um, and, you know, yeah, obviously not happy to see him, see him score and win, but I, you know, 
long may fans come back into into stadiums as and when it's safe. And I will say one one last thought, Jim. Your point on you know maybe it's just one of those games. Um, my my like manager at uh, the club I play for um, said that he read in one of Fergie's books that you should never be too happy after a win and never too sad after a defeat. And I heard Ferdinand quoting that uh, a couple of weeks ago. And if maybe this is what what the reality is, rather than every week it being either sort of euphoria or disaster. It's one of those games. There'll be another in three days. Just keep going. <laughs> Just keep going and don't yeah. worry. Yeah, like you say, that there is an opportunity to turn it around with uh, Liverpool on Wednesday, who we are ahead of in the Premier League table. Not level with, but um, we certainly need a three-point gap on them. Um, we're recording tonight on the, uh, the evening of the 14th of December, which sadly, um, earlier today, they announced that Gerard Julio uh, passed away age 73. Um, Jim, he's, he's been a big figure in the game over the last, well, I don't know how many years, he's just always been there. Um, it, it would be a shame to see him go. Yeah, I was, I was really sad this morning when I, I saw that he'd, uh, he'd died. I know, obviously, nobody ever speaks ill of the dead and, and people say nice things when people pass away, but I was all kinds of people in football all said one thing, that he was just the most decent, genuine, personable kind of guy that they've, they've met. Obviously, a lot of them associated with Liverpool, but he's, he was an interesting guy and I think probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves for what he did, uh, not only at Liverpool, but at Villa. Liverpool, when he went in there, had had a, a horrible 15 years or so after Heysel and Hillsborough and... and unsuccessful period in the 90s. He went in, won the treble in 2001, taught them to win again. Uh, Stephen Gerrard has said that them winning the UEFA Cup under Julio in 2001 is what kind of gave them the confidence to say they could win European trophies again. Julio himself said that when, when he went in there, Liverpool were the kind of team that would lose to Strasbourg and then suddenly they were winning trophies. And he did a really good job there and then probably doesn't really get the credit for it because then obviously... Istanbul happened and, and people kind of forget the less glamorous competition, but he's, he, he, he was kind of there when Steven Gerrard came through and when Liverpool started to be a good side again. And then obviously he had his health problems, he, he went away, came back, and I don't think he's particularly loved at Aston Villa either, but in his one season at Villa, they finished ninth and they haven't finished above 15th ever since. So maybe that's a sign of what, what a good job he did. But uh, but yeah, when you look at it and everybody that ever knew him says that he was just a lovely, lovely guy, it's a, it's a real shame that he's, uh, that he's gone so young. And, um, and somebody that was, by the, by the sound of it, kind of from the same school of thought of, as, as Arsene Wenger, had a similar kind of uh, quite academic upbringing and had these the kind of values of a French coach that were unfamiliar in England when he first came here so um, so yeah big figure and it's a shame that he's gone it's also a um, <clears throat> I think one thing you touched on there Jim which is quite interesting is that he's a uh, lacks the reputation of someone who who achieved as much as he did like we forget early in I mean when you think he started managing in the 1970s he managed Paris Saint-Germain successfully he managed Lyon successfully he worked in the French national team set up I think across eight years in three different roles. Um, and you then have Liverpool, tremendous success. 
um, you know, he only stopped working at Villa from, you know, because of his heart problems. And he then went on to play a pretty central role in the Red Bull organisation as they basically developed this kind of sporting body, which they now are. Um, mm. And I've, I feel like it's, it's almost, there are so many interesting parts to, parts to him. And I, I um, Wenger mentioned him actually in his autobiography. And I thought it's funny how sometimes even in football, no matter how, uh, how well read you try and be about football and, and the history of it, there's always interesting characters who, who have untold stories. Um, and his is definitely one which, uh, you know, I think a lot of people could, could enjoy and should reflect well on because of the way he carried himself throughout that, throughout that time. Yeah, I, I don't tend to like doing plugs for other people's stuff, to be honest, but anyone that's got an athletic account, read Simon Hughes's uh, article on Julio because it's a, a really good read and uh, a good account of him. Apparently, uh, fun fact, Julio has the, uh, the best record in a Merseyside derby of any manager ever. Mm. More than Klopp. Yep. I was going to say, because Klopp's been pretty bloody lethal since he's, since he's arrived in town. Jesus. Bodes well for us on Wednesday. Indeed. Well, saying that, Tim Sherwood's got the best win percentage of any Spurs manager. <laughs> let you know, so don't always believe the stats. On a more potentially upbeat note, depending on the result, I suppose, but away at Anfield, at a time when we've seen Joel Matip hobble off the pitch at uh, Craven Cottage, which is great to see. Uh, we were all cottages <laughs> on Sunday night. Um, they haven't actually got a recognised centre-back for this, this game. It'll be interesting who will play alongside Fabinho. Uh, they put Henderson there uh, on Sunday, which is very odd. Uh, but they did have most of the possession. Um, what can you see us doing effectively to to see a way past Liverpool at what has been an absolute fortress. I think you're on a record run, Jules. I think the, the key battle will be in the centre of the park because Fabinho and Henderson probably won't be there. I think it's, I think it's a natural move from, uh, from Klopp to slot them further back and to, to fill those roles. Also because you don't want to put a young centre-back in there who then gets torn apart and has his career kind of jeopardised from it, um, which can happen. So I think with those two moving back, my bigger question is, well, who's going to be in the middle of the park alongside Wijnaldum? Um, and if we can win and scrap well in there, and, you know, I mean, Curtis Jones, yeah, he looks like a decent young prospect, but, you know, Ndombele and, and Hoiberg and uh, Sissoko should be pretty powerful trio in there. And if they can dominate that area of the pitch, then that's the platform to allow Son and, uh, and Kane to weave their magic. And I think you look at Son coming in off that left, as someone who, by virtue of being six foot, has occasionally been asked to play centre-half, there's nothing worse than when you've got someone fast running at you. And usually in midfield, you can just clatter them and it's fine. But <laughs> you, suddenly you're in, in the back line. It's a very different prospect. So I think that's, that's the key thing is you've got to win the midfield to get the platform to attack, um, particularly down, down our left. I was thinking about this and I just don't know. On one hand, I'm really fed up this year of Jurgen Klopp moaning about playing too much football but then you look at Liverpool's injury uh, list and it's difficult not to say he's got a point really um, yeah the only kind of word of caution I suppose I would I would say from a Tottenham point of view is these are two sides that are level on points and Liverpool are missing half of their usual starting 11 and they they are still managing to be level 
And to me, neither of these sides look at the moment like they've quite got enough to win a title, but I suspect that one of them will. Uh, and that's probably, that's a good thing. I, qu- I quite like that. I'm, I'm a bit bored of the super season where you get a team that wins 100 points or near enough. But I think, you know, Liverpool can go through the gears. So this would be a tough game. And coming away with anything from Anfield will be a good result, I think. What do you think, Fen, about their their forward line? Because that's that's the area of the pitch where they're not they don't have injuries, do they? So they you know they could line up with, you know, any you know potentially that sort of famous three. But will Jota be back from injury? I know he picked up a knock before. I don't think so. I think he's going to be out for six to eight weeks. Uh, oh, wow. Touch, which means their depth coming off the bench is Origi, which poor getting PTSD from the uh, Champions League. <laughs> um, <laughs> twitching. Um, yeah, I mean, it's still a terrifying prospect. Um, we played our full strength fullbacks uh, against Palace. Be interesting to see what sort of rotation he does. It's interesting to see the likes of Bale and Vinicius not even making the bench against um, Palace. And depends how much rotation he does. And I mentioned the fullbacks because Salah and Mane are absolutely terrifying, Mane in particular. But Mane is a little bit out of form for me now. It's a quiet season. Um, so that's his usual self. Uh, so what would you annoying? What would what would you do if you were if you were in charge of the Tottenham training session today? Apart from putting Suzuko in a straight jacket and forcing him to run <laughs> with that, so that he gets used to not daring to have arms. I'm going to be very rogue here. I had a conversation with a, a Liverpool fan earlier, actually, a colleague. Uh, never guess where he's from. London. No, it's from the West Country. Of course, he's not from Liverpool. Well, you, you like them uh, like Salah Blue. He's literally like that. I've never really met any scousers who are actually Liverpool fans. Elsewhere, Everton. Um, I want to be rogue. Looking at their centre backs, we could cause them real problems. And I want to go back to old school four four fucking two. I'd be bold and start Vinicius to cause absolute havoc with Fabinho and Henderson. Kane can sit with him, can sit off him, can sit between him and the midfield if you wanted. I think you have to start Suzuka and Hoybier because of the protection that they also offer to the channels beside the fullbacks, which you need to do to negate pace of Saramane. And I think you have to start Oreo and Reguilon because they are simply our, our best players and the paciest fullbacks in those positions. So, but I would actually really start finishing, <laughs> which I think is a bit rogue, and I don't think he will do it. But if we want a bit of rotation, then that's why I might bring someone like that in. What, do you, what would you think about, uh, ro- speaking of rogue shouts, Tanganga? He did a very good job on Mane in his, on his debut. And he's defensively very, very secure in that kind of, uh, that kind of role in this kind of match. Well, right back or mm. centre back or right, right three centre backs. Just stick him at right back. I just feel like he's, he's very good as a one-on-one defender. And in a game like this, you're not looking at him to break forward in the way that Aurier is crossing is a real, real asset. I don't know. I feel I'm, it could be a bit Jose. Yeah, but is Jose also going to be looking a game ahead as well? He, he might know that if he starts Oriya and Reggie on Wednesday, like Sunday, last Sunday, Wednesday, looking at the weekend, we've got Leicester. Mm. Can you play them three games in essentially a week? Probably not. You wouldn't want to risk it, especially going into the Christmas period. So if he's going to rotate fullbacks, do you do it now or for the Leicester game? It's a good point about rotation. Um, it's funny. I've, Quite a lot of people think that um, the best way to match up Liverpool is to go with a back three because your three centre-halves pick up 
their sort of wide forwards who sit in and your wing backs can push on and kind of try and press Trent and uh, and Robertson higher up the pitch, keep them further back. And that would still allow you to go man for man up top and play, say if you did a three five two for then your your idea of having two strikers up there and unleashing Vinicius. Um but I, I just think it's gonna be a classic Jose move. It's gonna be a very defensive four two three one um and it's gonna be a case of him rolling that dice and thinking with our forwards and their injuries, you know, but this is one we really should should win. And would be and would be a statement win if we could if you know if we did pull it off, you know, you can talk all you want about injuries, but beating Liverpool at their home ground, at that fortress in a season like this to pull three points clear, that's a big, big move to make. It's a big incentive, especially the morale that that would give you is mm. to beat that run at Anfield and go three points ahead. Uh, will make it all the more sour when, <laughs> if we lose to Leicester. One threat that, that we haven't considered, we talked about Mane and Salah, is that Robertson is um, fit. He probably will start. And I think Trent probably will start as well. He might not get 90 minutes, but when you've got fullbacks like that also pinning your back, you're going to rely on wingers supporting the fullbacks. Uh, and, and that's something else we'll have to consider because I don't think Son really gives you that option. But can you see Bergvine starting again? We're talking about the rotation. And what wingers do we go with to, to counteract that threat? I think he'll keep Son because he's Son. Uh, but I think Bergvine might uh, be dropped out and maybe Mora brought in. Um, I'm not sure that he would trust uh, Bale to do that kind of defensive work. Um, so I could see it's, it's more of a like-for-like like on that side. But like I say, I, just, I, I think Jose's going to revert to type here. He, he likes this this 4-2-3-1 um, if he trusted Son to play against Reese James who I think might actually be a better fullback than Trent dare I say um, then ooh, I think we'll trust him today a big oof yeah big oof <laughs> now that is big a thigh oof. rubber thigh rubber gents <laughs> you're either going to look like the Delphic Oracle in a year's time when he's the world's best player or you're going to look a total dick and I don't know I which one I've got my money on <laughs> 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 I just know with I just know with those two, I think I think Trent is a remarkable football player, but I think as a fullback, Reese James is like uncannily complete for his age. But yeah, no, I, I, it's a fair point with Trent. Um, I think Robbo on the other side um, is is looking very much in form again um, at the moment. But he does have that tendency, doesn't he, to go for the high press and he kind of charges in. If he doesn't get it, you can play it yeah. around the corner. That's, yeah, happened, that, that's happened two or three times recently. Well, that's what we're going to have to rely on if we're going to play the Jose way. That, that, that's always what we're yeah. going to envision is happening. I think Funny fact be... about Robertson, though, if you scroll deep enough on his Instagram feed, there's a picture of me and him. But there is. It's <laughs> very true. It's an amazing fact. Yeah, it was a night out in York, and he was at Hull. Old Michael Dawson was there, Tom Huddleston, Livermore, Myler threw a lemon down the street for some reason. But yeah, yeah, Robertson was really chatty, very nice guy. Said he'd play for our Six Society team, which he never did. Um, But yeah, he's a very nice guy. I think he was quite young, like 20 at the time. So he was quite, you know, wide-eyed and pleased to be there. As was I, staggering out of the uh, Willow bar. Out of Willow. (laughs) Yes. Rest Um, in peace. Yeah, because someone just come and grab me and went, whole city are outside. That's one of those chat with Randy Robertson. We both went, yeah, you know, I think Sedgham was only really promising. Now look at him, he's absolutely flying. But yeah, five years deep, 
There's a picture of me and him and an IL. <laughs> he could like play it. Trent in midfield. There's a rogue shout. They're short on midfield. Yeah, yeah, it's a good shout there. I feel like they're more likely. Who who would they have? So they got Wijnaldum. He seems to like Curtis Jones, who's the played quite a lot. Back. I don't know if it'll be too early for him. Maybe um, he's on the bench against Fulham. I think but... it's probably a cameo for him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how how they try and make that work. I also wonder with Matip. I know he got taken off at Fulham, but if they can do anything to get him fully fit. Um, or just fit enough just to just to get through the game. I wouldn't be surprised if they try and keep Henderson in that midfield role. Because if I was if I was Klopp, I'd be thinking, you know, that midfield area is going to be a right scrap. Um, but it'll be an interesting game. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of kind of uh, interesting tangents to it. Yeah, you're right about the midfield element. I think you see it in the City game. They didn't really take and Dumbelli out the game, and he got an assist for the first goal. Similar to the Chelsea against Arsenal. Um, he was able to run the show in midfield. Chelsea stopped the midfield from working, which meant we couldn't do the counter-attacking stuff that we like to do, which is why I think it'll be a nil-nil at Anfield. Bastard, I was going to say that. What are we thinking, gents? What's it going to be? Well, just giving you mine. Nil-nil. <laughs> I'm going with it. I think it will be nil-nil. Jim, you're not allowed to say Desmond. I did, in my head, have nil-nil, but uh, just in the spirit of not saying exactly the same as Fenn, I'll, I'll go for the next best thing, which is one all. I'm going to go punchy. I think we're going to win 3-1. Three? We ain't scoring three, fam. My favourite bit, actually, from AFTV, it's got to be mentioned. Uh, DT picking up the chair, turning around to Robbie and saying, oh, let me dash this chair at the wall, fam. Like, I'll pay for it, I don't care. <laughs> for any damages that is the state of uh, Arsenal Football Club at the moment I do have a bit of trivia actually Arsenal related are you interested mm-hmm. hit, hit me well it was on this day we were recording on the 14th of December uh, and it was on this day in 1912 do you know what happened Jim no uh, I, no, no I don't Jules uh, did Arsenal lose to Tottenham they did I mean but why is it important like, it's happened quite a few times in history uh, it happened the other week was it the first time First ever? one? Yeah. Uh, it was the last one to happen in Plumstead. We call them Woolwich, uh, okay. but they actually played in Plumstead uh, on Manor Field. Did you know that, Jim? Nice. Uh, no. No cool bit yeah, of trivia we... there. And you, uh, I particularly enjoyed the part where you went unnecessarily partridge for it. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about it is uh, Spurs running late to the game, so their shower bang was speeding and they got stopped by the police. That very nearly didn't happen. But lo and behold, we turned up and stuffed him 3 0. Arsenal got relegated that year. I did see someone without a hint of irony suggest that they get Arsene Wenger in as caretaker manager. It could happen. I had this thought. It, it, it could definitely happen. It, do, do you know what I mean the best outcome, though, really? Like, like for football in general, would be if Wenger comes back, so does Fergie, just contracts to the end of the season. The absolute drama that would be a bit that would be narrative. Oh, amazing. well, no, because then if they both came back, I would want them both to battle it out and one of them win a title, and neither of them are going to do that, and that would make me sad. <laughs> I just I don't mind if they if they both come back as long as they have suitable exits this time. I feel like they need to have one of those like you know at the end of Dark Knight with one sort of you, there's someone having a coffee in the square and he turns around and then he's gone. I feel like, you know, they need to be given the right exits. They like, like their, maybe you don't like their clubs, but they, they were excellent sort of servants of the game. 
Anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you when you decide uh, at the Anfield game. Up Spurs. Spurs.